last Friday, I gave a speech on coping mechanisms and my and John's story about his inability to cope with life and eventual suicide. Whenever I give speeches, um, I've given, I think that was my third one so far, um, I try to be just as open as I am on the podcast. I feel that it's important so people really understand the battles that John went through and was still able to maintain his job and maintain parts of his life. I think that talking about his struggles and his drinking issues and his kind of personality changes or the just general feeling of absence from our life while he was drinking is important for multiple reasons. One, I think if anybody's listening to this that's struggling and maybe drinking a lot or identifying with some of the behaviors that John's doing or that John was doing um, maybe they'll recognize that they're they're not coping well with stress and go get help but also for people that are maybe seeing these issues in other people that maybe they will talk to them more maybe they will recognize it more and be a little bit more aggressive than I was in trying to get their spouse help or trying to get them to stop drinking. No one's perfect. You know, no one, like I said uh, plenty of times, no one saw it coming with John. Um, there's a couple of hindsight things that I've talked about. But I think recognizing when our coping mechanisms have reached max capacity, whether they're healthy coping mechanisms or not healthy, healthy coping mechanisms is really important to understand um, in ourselves and if we can see it in other people. In the ambulance world, we consider MCIs or multiple casualty incidences a incident where there is one more patient than there are ambulances. So there's one more issue than there is resources. And that's where I considered John at. He was at the MCI of his of his resources, of his coping mechanism. And instead of calling in extra resources, he just he just left. He didn't reach out. And there is still a lot of grief and sadness and coping that's happening because of that so what I hope that people understand from my story and from whatever speech I give or whatever symposium I do is that we all have shit we all have issues we all have stress we all have anxiety Um, we might not all have you know clinical anxiety or clinical depression but we all have moments where we need to cope And even good coping mechanisms such as running or doing yoga, meditation, ice baths, exercising, whatever you want to do, 
that's that might be considered healthy for you might not be working, especially if you have to do them all day long every day. It makes zero sense for me to sit in an ice bath all day long if I if that's the only way I can control my anxiety. You know, it makes zero sense for people to have to do yoga or to have to run all day long if that's the only way they can cope with life. They're at the MCI of their resources, right? That's when you need to bring in someone else. You need to call in someone else. Even if it's not a an official behavioral specialist, it's important to kind of call in somebody else be like, hey, I need help. I'm not doing well. I'm not going through. I'm at the top of my resources and I'm still, you know, four patients deep that I need to, four issues deep that I need to triage and figure this stuff out. So, so that's generally what I like to talk to people about, what I like to kind of hone in on. But I also like, I not that I like. I don't like to talk about our story. Um, to be honest, I feel like it's necessary to tell the bad parts of our story, um, or the rough parts, or any other parts that I think are necessary to help people, because life isn't a beautiful filtered Photoshop, Instagram reel or picture. It's real life, and real life is messy. And real life is tough. And if I pretend that there's filters all over my life, then why the fuck do I even have this? Like, why am I even doing anything? Right? So that's kind of my feeling on being open. I feel like it's very important for me to tell the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because that's the only way that people are really going to relate and really can learn and maybe do better. And hopefully not end up in a space where they feel they need to take their own life or they feel that they can't get out of a hole that they think they've dug when it really all you need to say is like, hey, I need help and there will be somebody to get you out of that hole. I mean, there's people all around. And even just calling or texting the suicide hotline at 988 will help. Reaching out to a friend will help. Reaching out to a behavioral specialist will help. You know, anything will help just as long as you understand that you need to reach out. That no one can really fully understand your pain because we can't experience what you experience. We can't, no one can experience my life the way I've experienced it. No one can experience the way the way John experienced life or the way that my kids will experience life. Everything, every experience is very unique to each person. And that's why I think it's also really important to reach out and tell people when you're struggling. That being said, I also found that at this, during this health symposium where I gave the speech, um, there's a wide amount of, or a a big gap, I would say, in what maybe social workers or some health, um, mental health workers or know about resources in the community and what the actual resources in the community are. I also found that there was a big gap in the 
knowledge of veteran resources and um, help for military personnel than a lot of people, than a lot more than people realize. Um, there's a lot more out there than I even realized. And during this health symposium, you know, there was a question about what resources were available. And there was probably like six or seven resources between just general mental health and veteran mental health and wellness that were kind of spouted in the symposium, which I thought was very, um, very helpful. And I'll get back to that in a couple minutes. Um, and the reason I bring this symposium up is because it was pretty official. Um, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but there was a political member there. There was um, on Zoom. There was a good amount of people there, a good amount of resources there, which I thought was important. I feel like hopefully we're at the the age of where we can talk about mental health issues and let people know we're struggling and it be okay and not be this huge stigma because everybody goes through it. It's just people are afraid to talk about it. Um, but there was also a reporter there and this is where I urge people who are in reporting and or have some sort of platform or, you know, broad social media presence to really pay attention to what's going on during one of these symposiums or a symposium, whatever you're covering, you know, really look at what the message is versus trying to find something in the message that people will read about. And I say that because I talked a lot about John's alcohol issues. I talked a lot about how it affected myself and the family. Um, But I also talked about coping mechanisms and reaching out and, you know, the importance of being okay with mental health and being okay talking to somebody about it. And the part that made the paper was about John's alcoholism and how I quote-unquote banished him from the house. Which was not the message that I was sending. And I understand when I agreed to be part of the paper um, that, you know, journalists can take whatever artistic route they would like to take. But... I will make it, I mean, this has been quite the learning lesson for me, to be honest, Um, because I can't change what people, I can't dictate what people put in the paper, but I can dictate what I say, and I can really dictate um, what my message is, or I try to emphasize that message. So personally, for me, I will make sure that my message on working through mental health, getting healthy coping mechanisms, reaching out to people will be a lot more obvious. I'm not going to downplay my struggles or John's struggles because of this person, and I'm not going to stop talking because of this person, Um, but I'm going to make sure that I do a better job 
of communicating what I feel is the most important part of speaking, of telling my message. Um, and I just hope that if that individual hears this or other people that would rather write a salacious article than a helpful article, I hope you do better. There is a whole world of people that need help and writing solely about someone's alcoholism is not helpful. It's not contributory. It's not anything that's going to change anything. It's just going to have people read the article and think, oh, poor Tessa. And I don't want people to think, oh, poor Tessa. I am not telling my story to get sympathy or be a martyr or look like the best wife in the world. There's probably stuff that I could have done better. Like I said before, I tell my story because it's it's real. This is real life. People go through this shit all the time. But we need to talk more about it and stop putting shining ribbons on presents that are filled with shit because it's it's life. My other issue with this article is, as I stated shortly before this, there are there's a lack of communication, a lack of understanding of resources, all which were talked about in this forum in this symposium. And they were not put out in the paper. Not that I remember, um, but no one, I didn't hear anybody talk about or I didn't see him talk about the military support program, which I've talked about, um, the Brian Daigle Foundation. There's also a, for anybody that might be listening in Massachusetts, apparently there is a, um, program that I'll hold your gun program where if you're having mental health issues there's different veterans that can hold their guns for you if um, I think you're in the shoreline area there's this place called I think it's a rollout I will look more into it and it's a basically a club for active duty military veterans and their dependents to kind of go there's a pottery place there's a rock wall. There's all this stuff there that's available for free, which was not mentioned in the article. Um, so once again, I'm going to give myself a task of finding these resources and putting them up on a website. So I have made a website for the podcast and I will link it um, either on my Instagram page or the show notes. I think it might be on the ins- my Instagram page. But there is a website, and I will make sure that when I find resources to not only put them on there, but also put them on my Instagram. Um, and to anybody that wants to spread them around, please share, please do whatever you can so people know about them. You know, I'm always happy to, if anybody's having any problems or any issues, they can always message the Instagram page and I will do my best to find a resource or find something that will help them out. 
So once again, journalists do better, but also here are the gaps that we have in the mental health community and where, you know, people who have these resources, let's work together and do better. One or a couple of positive things about the article, um, I guess, is that they did mention the podcast, so that was nice. Um, and then they also mentioned the foundation I started. Um, the foundation is still in works, which is why I have not really mentioned it on the podcast, but um, it's like officially registered with the state of Connecticut. It is the John J. Harrington Foundation. Um, I've started this to help with, so my goal for this foundation is to provide money and support for education and mental health resources for emergency um, personnel, so first responders, police, fire, EMS, and for military family and personnel that's my goal. Um, I plan on having different events, different, you know, fundraising events, and I will let everybody know when it's up and running and, you know, how can anybody contribute. But I think education and mental health is very important. Um, I think it's probably one of the hardest things to go through, especially if you're a working parent or to help support your children or so that's my goal. That's my task that I've given myself um, to create positives out of negatives and I will continue to try to do so. Once again, I just hope people understand that my message is not about the gossipy or not perfect parts of my life. I hope my message is about understanding when you're at your limit, recognizing when other people might be at their limit and really helping them out and helping each other out. Because really we only have each other. I hope that, and I understand, well, I understand that, you know, putting my stuff out there. Yes, there's going to be talk. There's going to be gossip. There's going to be, you know, whatever you want to call it. It's not everything's going to be this optimistic upheaval of life, but I just hope for the majority of people, please understand that I'm doing this to help people cope and I'm doing this to help people understand that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to struggle just as long as you understand that that struggle also comes with reaching out for help. And we're all here to help. So please make sure that you are checking in on each other, especially this holiday season can be rough for those people grieving. It can be very apparent who is not present at parties. It can be very apparent who you're missing gifts from or who you can't give gifts to. So even those who've lost loved ones to non-suicidal events, you know, regular medical events, um, just be a little bit more aware of them. Um, 
and make sure you're checking in on yourself as well. Thank you.